0: And we're going to look at the assurance that we can have that we have eternal life. One of the more blessed promises of the Bible, I would say, right there. And There's a shocking number of people who don't have that blessing. <clears throat> so we're going to take a look at that today. Uh, I'll read our passage like we usually do. I'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll get to looking at it. And we've got a little bit of ground to cover today, so bear with me. Uh, 1 John chapter 5 starts at verse 13, and it goes like this. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at this. Lord, I thank you again for the day you've given us today. Each day is a blessing and a gift from you. Each day has a task and a purpose appointed for us. You've already numbered our days. You know what we're supposed to do in each one. Show us what we have to do. Guide us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. We trust in you this morning. Show us what you'd have from 1 John. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So today we're beginning, we're beginning John's closing of the uh, book of 1 John. This is John's closing commentary on eternal life, which has kind of been the theme of the whole book. Uh, he's been talking right from the beginning, right in the early verses, about life, that life that was with the Son, with, who was with the Father. He's in the process of summarizing everything. Everything we've discussed so far. And eternal life is one of those major themes. So, in a manner of speaking, you might say that what we're looking at this week and what we're going to look at next week are the thoughts that John wants us to go home with. So, that brings us to verse 13. Where he comes right out and he says this, "...these things have I written unto you that believe." In the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So John comes right out and gives us the whole reason behind what he wrote this book, why he sat down to pick the pen up and write this down. The whole reason he wrote it down, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, these things, these things that he's written down, of course he's talking about the letter of 1 John that we've looked at. We've spent a long time looking at it. Uh, Ye that believe. Who's he talking about there? He's writing to believers. Believers. There were believers in his day. Of course, these are true believers that hadn't been seduced by the heretics that he's been also talking about through this book, but he's also talking to you and me. So when he says that you believe, and he says you believe in the name of the Son of God, you believe in the name of the Son of God, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, we've, we've discussed it before. To believe in the name of someone means about the same thing as to believe in the person themselves doesn't it? I mean, the name is, that's what represents them. So, and especially, that was especially true in John's day. Someone's name was really their identity. Uh, We've talked about when Jesus refers to Simon. Simon Peter's name was Simon, until Jesus changed it to Peter. His name was Simon. His name was Simon Bar-Jonah which means he was Simon, the son of Jonah. Jesus' name was not Jesus Christ. It was Jesus bar Yosef. That, that was his real legitimate name. That's what he signed his checks with. Uh, that, that was his name. So your name identifies you as I am my father's son. You're expected to follow in that pattern. And we saw that throughout the Gospel of John Uh, particularly in, uh, let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I just want to see some of these references here. Uh, John, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Bumping over to uh, also in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Believing on the name of Jesus. Believing in his very identity as the Son of God. So John's whole purpose in writing is that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now remember, John's readers are hearing conflicting stories from the heretics of their day. Some of them have denied the teachings of Jesus. Well, that's not really what Jesus was teaching. Some of them claimed that you could never really know that you're saved. Some of those heretics in John's day, that's what they were teaching. Some of them even claimed that they'd received special revelations from God through His Holy Spirit. So John's readers, having heard these conflicting stories, they need to have some reassurance from John that they're, they're following the right path. When you've got so many paths around you and they all conflict, how do I know that I'm on the right one? So that's what John. That's why John's writing the book of 1 John. This is how you know that you're following the right path. Now, did you know that a lot of those false teachings are still alive and well today? There's a lot of people who... Don't believe in the teachings of Jesus. They teach that, well, that's not really what Jesus was teaching. There's a lot of people who teach that you can't really know if you're saved. And there's a lot of people who teach that they've got special revelations from the Holy Spirit, too. All the same teachings that John's been dealing with in this book, we still see alive and well today. That's being taught in churches within Cheshire County. You don't have to look very far. Many Christians today are just as misled and just as confused as they were in John's day. Folks haven't changed very much, have they? So John gives them and us this reassurance, and he reminds us that we're the ones who have truly received eternal life. We're the ones that have truly received eternal life. We truly know God. Not the heretics. The heretics don't really know God, and they don't really have eternal life. And John reminds these folks that they show the marks of being true Christians. And we've already seen what those marks were. That's what this whole book was all about. They followed the apostles' teachings. Uh, they obeyed God's commands. They loved their fellow believers. That was a big one throughout this book. That your love, that you have for the brethren... These are the signs that they genuinely share in eternal life. If you see these marks in your life, then this is how you know that you're on the right path, John says. You see, we as true believers can have assurance that we have eternal life. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. I used to uh, lead a men's Saturday morning Bible study with a Methodist who ne- every day he wakes up and he does, I don't know if I'm still saved. I can't imagine living that way. I can't imagine living that way. Now, I can't help but compare John's statement of purpose here with the statement of purpose that he had in the Gospel of John. You remember when we closed the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, but these are written, he says, I couldn't possibly write down all the things Jesus taught but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. So, both times, both in the Gospel of John and here, John refers to what's been written and belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the possession of eternal life. He talks about all three topics in both statements of purpose. The difference is. That in the Gospel of John, it was written, that ye may believe. It was written as an evangelistic book to lead someone to belief in Christ. The epistle of First John here was written, to you who already believe. It's written to reassure those people who are already believers. He assumes that what you've read from the Gospel of John is now true in your life. Now you have believed in Jesus. Now I'm writing you First John, you see. I still find it fascinating that both the Gospel of John and the uh, letter of 1 John end on a similar note, don't they? Very similar note. They're meant to be two parts. So now let's move on. He's made his statement of purpose. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. I have to look at verses 14 and 15 because they're really the same thought. It's really the same sentence. It should never have been broken into two verses. Uh, And, what's more, they're linked back to verse 13 uh, with the word and. It's unfortunate, but in some Bibles, the NIV is one, they drop out that linking word, and. Uh, it's actually there. When you leave it off, it almost seems that John is uh, saying that he's starting a new thought. If you leave off the linking word, it's, well, and now we're changing to a different topic, and he's definitely not. When you leave the and in, you get the idea that John's saying that in addition to eternal life, believers can also experience confidence in their relationship with God you see and even more specifically confidence in our prayer life do you have confidence in your prayer life john is saying that in first here in first john verses 14 chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 we can have confidence in our prayer life it's not like throwing something down a wishing well we can have confidence when we pray And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Now, that reminds me again of the promise of answered prayer that Jesus made in the upper room. Let's look back at the book of John, gospel of John, chapter 16. They're in the upper room, Jesus is making promises. Uh, John chapter 16, verses 23 to 26. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I written unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, and I shall show you plainly of the Father. In that day you shall ask in my name, and I, oh, I think I skipped a page. You shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, and because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God, I came forth from the Father, and I am come into the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. Jesus is making a promise that you and I, now that he's gone, can pray to the Father and have our prayers answered. We can have confidence in that based on our belief in Jesus Christ. Yes. All right. Let's suppose that you've been praying for something a long, long time, and it doesn't come to pass. How do you know if that's truly God's will? Were you praying according to God's will? That, that's, that's really the focus. But precisely well it's uh, what John was just saying in the gospel of John you'd have not because you ask amiss well Well, the, the focus is on God's will not on our will it doesn't matter how much your heart is in it is it in God's will That's where we're going right now. See, one of the focuses here also, we're talking about belief in the name of Jesus Christ as the basis of our faith and the confidence that we can have in eternal life based on that. Then, John, in the same thought, because we've got the connecting word and, talks about prayer. You know what that tells me? Prayer is also central to living faith if we don't have a proper prayer life then our eternal life and our faith in Christ is not complete and there's a lot of people who are living on an incomplete life they may be Christians they may have confessed Christ but they haven't got a proper prayer life so their Christian life is incomplete now I don't know if you've been keeping track I'll get to you in a minute brother but this is the second mention in this letter where John talks about believers having confidence in prayer. This is the second time. Uh, the first time was in chapter 3. Let's back up to chapter 3 in case we've forgotten. We're talking about confidence in prayer. That's our main focus today. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 21-23. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment, that we should believe in the name of His Son Jesus and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now I talked to that an awful lot when we went through uh, chapter 3, that if you're wondering why your prayers aren't answered, Are you obeying God's commandments? And and John specifies obeying the commandments. How is the love for your brethren looking specifically? Go ahead, Brother Fisher. I was just going to make mention that the passage we're in today says nothing about an answer. It says we have confidence he hears us, and we know that our petitions are gone before him. That's right. Well, that's, that's also true. Uh, I don't want to steal my own thunder. Uh, but where we're going here today is it talks the the qualification, the only qualification that's given here today is praying in, his, in God's will. Our will is sometimes different than God's will. But as we follow God, our will will become more in line with God's will and then we're going to see a more and more progressively more powerful prayer life. Try it, and you'll find it to be true. Now, as I say, we've linked back to chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, and John's showing the confidence in prayer with pleasing God by doing what he's commanded. And here, in chapter 5, our confidence comes from our assurance of eternal life. Because I know that I have eternal life, I am assured that God hears my prayers. And it's linked with our asking according to His will. So when we pray this way, according to His will, based on the firmness of my assurance that I have eternal life, then John assures us that God's going to hear our prayer. Now, the phrase... To hear here doesn't just mean, oh yeah, I I hear I hear Sister Marian praying, right now I hear it. Yep, there it is. No, the word to hear here means to give heed to. I am paying attention to you. That's what it literally means. And we get further confirmation that that's the case when we skip down to verse fifteen, which says, and if we know that he hears us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We have that petition. When a believer asks God for something according to his will, he will hear us, he will pay attention to us, and we will receive it. When you have, I possess that petition. You will receive it, plain and simple. That is a very, very clear path to answered prayer. And it will work every time. It will work every time. If you're struggling with your prayer life, you better check the links in the chain. Now, prayer must be, how do we know that we're praying according to God's will, not our own will? Well, the our prayers must be based on what the Bible teaches. It has to be based on what the Bible teaches. The Bible is God's revelation of His will. If we base it on what He has revealed of His will, then we're not going to be far off. So the key there is to stay in His Word, to study it, to know exactly what His will is, and then you're going to be praying in His will, and then you're going to be praying according to the confidence of the eternal life that you have, and we're going to see results. Follow the links in the chain. Verse 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it. Now John ratchets up the theme of prayer with a very specific example of praying for a believer who's fallen in sin. If any man see a brother sin a sin that's not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Now there's a couple of observations I can make here. First of all, this is a sin that can be seen, right? It's not a secret sin. By the way, there's no such thing as a secret sin. People like to use that term. This is not one of those, and there's no such thing. I'm not going to get into that. This is not a hidden attitude. This is not a hidden attitude. This is something that anybody can see. There's a sin. When I see someone sin a sin, it's pretty obvious, right? Secondly, it says that he will give life. Now, you could ask, as many people have, who is the he spoken of here? Is it the praying believer, or is it God that gives life? A lot of people ask the question. I'm not going to quibble over it too much, and here's why. Even if you pray for me in my sin, and it gives me life in some way, that life ultimately comes from God, doesn't it? So there's no need to quibble over this. The life comes from God, all life comes from God anyway, whether it comes from God through you and your prayer or whether it comes directly from God doesn't really matter to me. The life comes from God in the the long run anyway. So I'm just going to go with that we pray for our fellow believers struggling in sin. And when we do, God will give them life in answer to that prayer. Now note also that this promise of life for those who sin, is qualified. It's qualified in that it must be for a fellow believer who's in sin. It must be for a fellow believer who's in sin. Also, it's qualified that it must be, uh, not be a sin unto death. This was so very important to John that he reiterates it by saying there is a sin unto death. So this is a very important concept to John. I don't want to get into it just yet. Give me a minute. I'll be there in a second. I only want to mention it now to get your minds working on it. In the meantime, while you think on that, what does it mean to give him life? What does it mean to give him life? Well, throughout 1 John, we've seen life equated with one thing. Jesus Christ himself. Life is equal to Jesus Christ Himself. We've seen that throughout the book of 1 John. And that being the case, when John writes this, God is promising an extra dose of His power through Jesus Christ to help us motor through whatever that sin struggle might be. So, back up. We see a brother or sister struggling with a sin that's open, and we can all see it. We pray for them, and God promises to give a little bit of extra dose of His power through Christ to help them through their struggle. That's what John's saying here. And I hope you know that's true. Now, about this sin unto death. John tells us not to be bothering to pray for those people who have committed that sin. Don't bother praying for them. So what is a mortal sin? What is a mortal sin? Now, different church groups speculate in different ways. The Catholics say that there's seven of them. There's seven mortal sins. And if you commit any one of them, forget it. There's no salvation for you. Uh, Other churches will say that there's certain things you can do for which you'll lose your salvation. I spoke to you about my Methodist friend. Uh, The Bible's very clear. That there's only one sin that leads to death. Only one sin that leads to death. And that's rejection of Christ and His gospel. Reject Christ and His gospel, that's a sin that leads to eternal death. John's also very clear that true believers cannot commit that sin, you're already saved. Now the heretics of John's day had rejected that gospel. They had rejected the gospel of Christ by questioning it. They didn't believe in Christ. They didn't believe in his gospel. John says that they're to be left alone. Don't even pray for them. Don't even pray for them. Now, if they later come around to an interest in the gospel, well, then things change, don't they? Things have now changed. If someone's starting to show an interest in the things of the gospel, that's different. Well, now there's a different dynamic. Now we can pray for them. But don't waste your time with people who live a lifestyle of rejecting God's truth. That's what John's saying here. Don't waste your time praying for them. If they're living a lifestyle of rejecting God, rejecting his truth, don't waste your time. Now, this is not unheard of in God's Word either. Because I'm, I can see some of you raising eyebrows at this concept. This is not a foreign concept. It's, uh, three times it's mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah walk our way through it. God told the prophet Jeremiah not to pray three times for the unrepentant people in Israel. Jeremiah chapter 7. Well, what do you mean? He's the prophet. Of course the prophet's supposed to pray, right? God warns him not to pray for the unrepentant people. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 16 to 18. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah? And in the streets of Jerusalem, the children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, the women knead the dough, make cakes to the queen of heaven, and pour out drink offerings unto other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. They're rejecting God, you see. God tells Jeremiah, don't you dare pray for these people. Don't you dare pray for them. Skip over to chapter 11, verse 14. He's talking about Baal worshipers here. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry nor a prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. Skip over to chapter 14, verse 11. Talking about the people living in Judah. Then said the Lord unto me, Pray not for this people for their good. So you tell me, wow, that was, that was Old Testament. That was God talking to Jeremiah. Uh, of course, God didn't want to pray for these Baal worshipers and things like that. Well, let's look at Jesus. Jesus' uh, major prayer in John chapter 17. He's praying in the garden. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. John chapter 17, verse 9. Jesus is praying. He says, I pray for them, talking about his disciples. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Jesus himself did not pray for the world, the unbelieving world. He prayed for his disciples, but not for the unbelieving world. I think that's very telling, don't you? I'll go into a controversial topic here. There are things that sometimes Christians get caught up in and that Christians start praying for because it's popular in this world today. I'll use an example right now. It's going on right now. There's a popular movement right now to support the Ukraine no matter what and pray for them. And there's an awful thing going on with that war. I'm not denying that. But we're being pushed towards praying for for that like it's the only thing worth praying for. At last check yesterday, there was about 1,000 dead from the Ukrainian war so far. 1,000 dead. Within the same time period in the United States, 210,000 people have been killed by abortions. 210,000 in the same time period in the United States We're not raising an issue about that, are we? Let's put things into perspective. Move on to verse 17, and we'll be done. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Verse 17, we're wrapping up here today. And John restates the distinction that he'd made between sins that do and sins that do not lead unto death. He says all unrighteousness is sin, all of it. Anything we do that's unrighteous is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Here, John's referencing the distinction between the sins that lead to death and those that do not. And this, again, should reassure John's readers, should reassure you and I, that although we might sin from time to time, do you sin from time to time? I know I sure do. I guess you probably do too. Even though we might sin from time to time, we don't have to worry. Because these are not sins that lead to death, you see. Christians should be proactive in praying for sin. We should definitely be proactive in praying for sin. Both our own and for others. We've seen that already in our study here today. And they need to be addressed. There are, there are sins. We all sin. And those sins need to be addressed for sure. They need to pre- be prayed for, certainly. But I'm not going to worry my soul over them. Because I know they're not unto death. Yes, I'm going to be concerned. Yes, I'm going to pray. Yes, I'll pray for you. But I'm not going to worry about my eternal salvation over it because it's not unto death. Way back in John, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, that God forgives those who confess their sins, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Remember that? What a blessing that is. I don't have to worry about my eternal salvation. I don't have to worry about my eternal salvation. What a blessing. Let's thank God for that blessing here this morning.